Welcome to the markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to grains and livestock. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, October 25th. And as we take a look at what happened today on Wall Street, here's the story. Stock market moved higher after Washington today said it was close to finalizing parts of a trade pact with Beijing and some strong quarterly results from Intel Corporation boosted investor sentiment and it briefly sent the S&P 500 over the record high close that it set three months ago. Here's the story on that. During the session, the S&P peaked at 3,027 which surpassed its closing record of 3,025 on July 26. But it ended at 3,022, and U.S. stocks rose early after Trade Representative's office in Washington said the deputy-level talks on trade would continue. President Trump said China wanted to make a deal very badly, but we've heard that before. Wall Street enjoyed a strong week, boosted by a clutch of better-than-expected third-quarter earnings reports. The S&P 500 posted the biggest weekly percentage gain in seven weeks, and the Nasdaq its biggest gain in eight weeks. Morgan Stanley Investment Advisor Andrew Sliman said, The little bit of positive trade news has pushed the market up, but it wasn't all that negative even before the news came up. Intel's quarterly report added to the upbeat sentiment today. Chipmaker shares were up 8.1%. That's the largest daily percentage gain for Intel since January of 2018. Amazon.com fell after the e-commerce giant forecast revenue and profit for the crucial holiday quarter below estimates, and Amazon shares ended down 1.1%. Another advisor, Michael O'Rourke, said the market reaction to Amazon wasn't as bad as people thought. And so, for the day, The Dow Industrial Average up 152 points. That's a little over half a percent. It ended the day of the week at 26,958. The S&P 500 gained 12 and a quarter points to end at 3,022. And the NASDAQ Composite added 57 points for the day to close at 82.43. And for the week, the S&P 500 up 1.2%. The Dow gained 7 tenths of a percent. And the NASDAQ climbed 1.9%. Charter communication shares gained 6.2% today. The cable operator's results beat forecasts, and that was fueled by customer growth in broadband services. But Boeing company shares down 1.4% after Indonesian authorities looking into the October 2018 Lion Air crash said the world's largest plane maker failed to grasp the risks in the design of cockpit software on its seven 37 MAX jets. 
Now, the next round of earnings due next week includes some big names, Apple, Alphabet, Google, Pfizer, Merkin Company. As a matter of fact, we'll take a look at that list uh, here in just a moment or so. But before we leave history, the oil market rose today, registering the strongest weekly gains in more than a month. Thanks to support from optimism over the U.S.-China trade deal and also falling U.S. uh, crude stocks. And the uh, U.S. crude settled 43 cents higher, $56.66 a barrel, clocking a weekly rise of more than 5%, and that's its strongest since June 21st. Oil also getting a boost from signs of progress in the trade talks. And so that will be on the agenda next week as those talks continue. And apparently there is still hope that uh, we'll have a signed agreement, at least on phase one, uh, at the meeting in Chile in November. So... So now let's look ahead to next week. That's history and looking ahead to next week. Well, starting on Monday, Google parent Alphabet expected to pose an increase in third quarter revenue. AT&T expected to post a higher revenue and add more subscribers in the third quarter. Sweden's Spotify technology expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue, helped by the addition of more premium subscribers. T-Mobile will be checking in in its third quarter. It's expected to report higher net new phone subscribers who pay a monthly bill, helped by competitive wireless plans and trade-in offers for Apple's new phones. Popeye's Chicken Sandwiches and Burger King's Impossible Whopper expected to drive a majority of quarterly sales growth at Restaurant Brands International in its third quarter. The biggest question for investors, however, will be whether the plant-based meat options in two of Restaurant Brands chains are long-term growth drivers or set for limited-time success. Vegan burger maker Beyond Meat expected to report a jump in third quarter revenue as demand for its plant-based proteins continues to move higher. And Walgreens Boots Alliance will report on Monday its fourth quarter earnings. And uh, the analysts expect XPO Logistics to post higher third quarter profits on lower revenue. We will not be short of earnings reports for the rest of the week next week or government reports. For example, U.S. Federal Open Market Committee announces its interest rate decision at the end of its two-day meeting on Wednesday. Market is already pricing in a 93% chance that the U.S. Central Bank will cut short-term interest rates by at least 25 basis points. That's according to CME Group's FedWatch tool. Uh, Some other things happening, a lot of economic data. Wednesday, the government likely to report the U.S. economy grew at a rate of 1.7% in its first reading of third quarter gross domestic product. 
And then on Friday, the U.S. jobs data is likely to show unemployment rate rose to 3.6% in October. That would be up from 3.5% in September. And a strike by General Motors will likely cut at least 46,000 jobs from October's non-farm payrolls, according to the Labor Department. So, some of the companies that will be checking in, well, here we go. The MasterCard Incorporated will report its third quarter earnings on Tuesday before the markets open. On Friday, Alibaba Group Holding is expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue. Starbucks, the coffee maker, expected to post a rise in fourth quarter revenue boosted by new beverage additions to its menu and expanded delivery options. Pfizer will report third quarter earnings on Tuesday, and their results are likely to benefit from demand for cancer drug that it's making, and investors are ready to see how the largest U.S. drug maker fares after it announced plans of spinning off its older drugs division and merging with Mylan. That happened back in July. ExxonMobil's third quarter results on Friday are expected to slide on lower oil and gas prices and weaker results in its chemical business. The largest U.S. energy company telegraphed earlier this month that there could be some weakness in their report. And Chevron Corporation also reporting third quarter results on the same day. And ConocoPhillips on Tuesday expected to post a drop in third quarter profit as the world's largest independent oil and gas producer grapples with higher costs. Lyft on Wednesday expected to post a rise in its third quarter revenue helped by more riders using the platform. And a General Electric Company on Wednesday expected to post a decline in third quarter profit and revenue. That would be hurt by the industrial conglomerate struggling power business in its industrial unit. And then analysts say that global grain trader Bungie Limited on Wednesday expected to report a weaker performance for the third quarter results as the international trade tensions, the African swine fever disease epidemic, and tightening profit margins on soybean crushing continues to weigh on the agricultural sector. Global grain trader Archer Daniels Midland ADM on Thursday expected to report a weaker performance for its third quarter results. Again, for the same reasons, international trade tensions, African swine fever, and lightening or tightening profit margins on soybean crushing. American International Group on Friday set to report its third quarter results before the markets open. Investors will be looking for details about the impact of third quarter catastrophes on the insurer's earnings and whether the CEO will show continued progress in his effort to deliver an underwriting profit in AIG's core general insurance business. There are more reports due out next week. We don't have time to go into all of them because we're going to uh, talk agriculture and agricultural markets when we continue with Max Armstrong and his guest. 
here on The Markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Sitting in the studio with us this weekend, joining us for the first time ever, Ted Seifert from Zaner Financial Services, Zaner Hedge. You, you're in charge of the Zaner Hedge division, correct? Yeah, that's right, Max. I run Zaner Ag Hedge, and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Here in the midst of the harvest season, we continue to make a little progress, but we're reminded as weekly crop bulletins come out that there's still quite a bit in the field out there, especially a lot of the corn crop yet. Yes. What absolutely. strikes you about that? Yeah, we, you know, we have a lot of corn and soybeans still out in the field. We are... It's been a difficult year from start to finish, and we've had a lot of weather. Recently, we've had a lot of wind. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've had a lot of snow. So we've got conditions that aren't really great for harvest, obviously, but it's also really not that fantastic for crops. And there's a lot of questions this year, more so than really any year that we've had in the, in the recent history. We really want to get in and get into this harvest and find out more what we have as far as yields are concerned. We want to know more about harvested acreage, but the market's having to wait for that, wait for this information. So what you've seen in the last 10 days or so uh, since, you know, we had the USDA um, WASDE report, the October report, and weather and trade deal and everything like that, we've really been in a lack of news and in sort of a waiting time frame, waiting period, waiting to hear more about yields, waiting to hear more about trade deals, things like that. And so we've really kind of just traded sideways for now. Uh, We are... We will likely break out one way or the other. The question is really which way. And a lot of that will be dictated about, by what happens with the trade deal, what happens with weather. Uh, but in my mind, I, I really do feel like there's a lot more upside potential for corn and soybeans. I do think that the production numbers that the USDA is using currently might be a little bit on the high end. Uh, I, I think there's room to come down and harvest acreage both for corn and soybeans, especially with the weather that we've had in the last three weeks. And I would also say that for the soybean side in particular – I think the USDA at this point is now too low on the export or yeah, their export figure that they're using because look at the amount of, of soybeans that China and other countries have bought just in the last three weeks. I think the USDA is going to have to add at least 75 million bushel to their soybean export number. And if they do that, you know, that takes that 460 million bushel carryover that they have right now. That'll knock it down below a 400, you know, something somewhere in the 300 range. And then if you start talking about taking production off the table, all of a sudden, we get into a rather tight scenario for the soybeans, which is a sharp contrast to what we were looking at back in June and July when we were talking about a billion-plus bushel carryover for soybeans, which now could be somewhere in the two to 300 million bushel range. So the narrative, the story has changed for soybeans dramatically. We've gotten back up to the spring highs. But again, like we just talked about, in the spring, we were talking about a billion bushel carryover. Now we're talking between, in my mind, between two and 400 million it's a different story. So I, I think there's more upside potential here for soybeans and, and could be pretty dramatic. So you're friendly, both corn and beans. I am. I'm not bullish, but friendly. Yes, I've been friendly beans since June or July. Uh, you know, when when we were talking about um, you know, really late planting as we we're getting into June, a lot of people thought we were going to really push soybean acres. But keep in mind, at the time, you know, we were hearing more about MFP 2.0 and we knew that 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 was going to get paid out on acreage regardless of what crop got planted. So between that and insurance, it made a lot of sense for guys to go in and continue to plant corn. And, and in my mind, the, the government bought 10 to 15 million acres of corn acres by doing it that way, because we didn't know what was going to happen with prevent plant. 
And I was really worried about what soybean acres might do. And I was really worried about what that really late planted soybeans, how, how they would yield. So I've been bullish soybeans, but I just continue to get more and more bullish soybeans. However, as harvest has progressed, as I'm hearing more feedback coming from my farmers uh, of what's going on with the corn harvest, I'm actually really surprised. I was thinking that we were going to hear some better yield numbers than what most guys were expecting. And we have heard a little bit of that. But really, uh, there's a lot of guys that have been really disappointed. Uh, they already had some fairly low expectations, but it's actually been even maybe a little bit worse. So I'm getting more and more friendly for corn as well, especially since we've been so – or the USDA has been so aggressive at taking the, the demand side of the equation down, exports in particular – I think that gets better. I'm watching the dollar. I think the dollar has some downside potential from here. That can help our exports. Once South America runs out of their crop, I I think more of the world is going to come to us for our corn. I think things get better for corn for a time. And really, if you you look at basis across the country, and obviously it's going to be local, but if you look at basis across the country, it's really very good, even with some fairly good corn prices right now. And that suggests that that corn just might not be out there. Um, you know, I have a lot of end users that are just saying really smart guys, guys that would normally never say something like this, but saying, we don't know where the corn is. We can't find it. Our producers that we normally source grain from say they just don't have it, and we believe them. So the USDA says we have this huge amount of on-farm corn storage, but where is it? So it makes you wonder if we've maybe overstated production in the last few years. It really makes you wonder if that corn's actually out there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm, I'm not saying that that's the case. Um, but it has been a struggle to source corn for the end user. And, and that really gives corn a good reason to stay strong. And basis at some point might lead the rally, especially if we get some strength in soybeans. Sometimes I wonder if the social media picks and clips tend to over-dramatize the situation a little bit. But it's been hard to miss all of these shots of ruts in the field, down to crop in the field, snow in the field. And I'm not just talking about uh, North Dakota and Minnesota. We tend to forget a little bit that prairie province of the uh, region of Canada has really been slammed too, have they not, Ted? I mean, there's there's a lot of canola out there that looks ugly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the canola crop is uh, spring wheat. I mean, the canola, wheat, corn, Canada is is really had a hard time. And, and like you said, our, our northern uh, plains, plains and prairies, our northern Midwest, it's a big area. It's a big area, and it affects a lot of crops. You know, So that's something that I think a lot of people aren't taking into consideration. We generally don't lose a lot of crop in the field. This, this is a very different year, though, most likely, is it not? It's been a very different year from the get-go, and this is another year where we might have a hard time getting out and harvesting a lot of these crops. Canada, North Dakota, Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> if we get a hard freeze and, and we have sort of a sheet of ice underneath that mud – it's never really going to go away until it's really just too darn cold, you know. So that that might carry over. We had some of that in Western Illinois um, last year, but this is this is sort of unprecedented. Like this could be a really big deal. And if you go back to the spring, it took a long time for the market to really realize the the delayed planting concerns that we had and really catch on to that rally that we had. I feel like we're seeing that same thing again. This is a delayed reaction. Eventually, I think that comes more to the market. Right now, the market doesn't seem terribly concerned by it. But again, I think that's a developing story. For all of the whipsawing that we've seen in the market because of news from China or lack of news or tweets or uh, the, the various back and forth of negotiations, 
We noticed that the commodity markets do not operate uh, in a solo fashion here. Mm -hmm. There's the equity market move that takes place generally as well. Mm -hmm. So commodities don't really, they're not really following the equities. Commodities have a lot at stake here, right, in terms of what's going on and reacting to any Chinese news. Oh, absolutely. And it, it depends on the commodities you look at. But soybeans, hogs in particular, cotton is another one. Uh, we are very, very sensitive. Now, the, the trade disruption has been so substantial. So substantial. But at the same time, I would say that, you know, sometimes we'll hear positive news. Uh, for example, earlier in the week, or really to start the week, we heard that China was approving another 10 million metric tons of soybeans to be bought by their state-owned soybean crushers. And that was a really good, I mean, Sunday night, we were right back up to the recent highs. But we had a really hard time holding on to those gains, and we've never really recovered from that uh, throughout the week. And you got to think that's because, you know, it's just an approval, right? And we know that, that China has recently gone to South America, both Brazil and Argentina, to buy, buy soybeans. Our dollar has started to bounce off of its recent low, uh, so that's sort of a little bit of a crimp as well. Uh, so just an approval doesn't mean that they are purchasing. And then we saw export sales here this week. They weren't, China wasn't in, not in the way that they have been the last few weeks. So that's a bit of a disappointment. So hearing the news is one thing, but seeing it is another. And, and that the market really wants to see this happen. It's the same thing with the trade deal or the announced trade deal, a phase one trade deal. We want to see that signed. We want to see results from that. And when we see that, then we can really get going with the rally and, and the strength and, and, and things like that. But we've been burnt on this before. We've seen these trade deals come to the table and get ripped up last, last minute. We don't want to let that happen again. We don't want to be fooled again. So don't be surprised to see an immediate reaction to some kind of Chinese news. But the follow-through, the devil is in the details. The devil's in the details. And if this deal gets signed down in Chile in a couple of weeks... That's really going to have a very big effect on the commodities that are very much affected by Chinese buying, soybeans, hogs in particular. If that happens, then we can really rejoice and, and get excited about that. But until that gets signed, I feel like these news, uh, the positive news clips that we're hearing out of the trade deal, we're going to get that initial reaction, but we'll probably fade that because, again, the markets become kind of jaded to these, these positive news. What's your gut feeling about the deal when it is ultimately done with China, I mean, there are people who are of the opinion, many people of the opinion, that this is not just months away, maybe a year or so away. Yeah, right. I, I, I really go back and forth with that. I feel like if it's going to get done, it's got to happen really very soon. This is probably our last shot to get it done before we go to re-election. And then if Trump gets uh, re-elected, I, don't think th- I think he'll continue to fight that fight really to the end of his term. So if it doesn't happen now, I'm worried that it won't happen for another three or four years. So I think it's a, it's, it's a very important thing to try to get this done. I feel like both sides are very motivated to do so. Um, the Chinese seem to have a very large appetite for soybeans again. So it, you know, we have a hard time getting information out of China. But it sounds like they're wanting to rebuild their soybean stocks. It does also sound to me like they've re- started to rebuild their hog herd up in their north and eastern territories where – they're building these big hog hotels, you know, multi-level facilities. Um, so I think the need is, is coming back for China, and they are looking to get something done. And the way they're doing it with this phase one deal, it really addresses agriculture, which is maybe China's biggest need right now. I don't know if this is a big win for us because some of the things that we really wanted to get out of this trade deal, I don't know if we're getting that. Uh, but it would be really good for American agriculture if we can get that done. So. Yeah, I'm I'm really optimistic that something happens. Maybe you just want to call it a trade truce, but I, I'm optimistic that something happens that benefits agriculture here in the relatively near term. 
but this fight might get fought again sometime further on down the line. So I think if we do get a substantial rally in the markets based on a trade deal with China, I think you want to be looking a year or two out and at least getting a portion of your production hedged at that point. Uh, because I, I feel like this could ultimately be a train wreck as, as China positions themselves to use other countries and develop more infrastructure down in, say, Africa uh, to source grain from other places and to move further away from the United States. Haven't most of your customers realized after these recent very few opportunities to market at the, the higher prices that if you can get it and lock it in mm-hmm. on down the road, there's need to do so? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're really looking at next year's corn crop, uh, you know, December 2020 corn. Uh, we have a target at 418. That's up at the recent highs that we had in the spring or the highs that we had from the spring. I really want to see guys getting 20, 30, 35 percent of their, their crop done. I'm really worried what's going to happen with the acreage mix for next year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think we want to be looking out a little bit further in time. We, we can't just have blinders on and look what's happening right in front of us. You know, it, it's hard not to do that because we've got so much news, so much uncertainty. But understand that that uncertainty is partially why we have December corn trading, December 20 corn trading well over $4. So, I think we need to use this as an opportunity. If these are the worst sales that we make, that's not a bad thing because I think most people are, you know, profitable by a, a fair amount when we're tra- when we're talking 409, 410 corn. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I really do try to encourage guys to look at these opportunities, and there's always strategies to reown if we feel like we need to, or cover, or get out, you know. But I think it's a good time to get started. Again, I'm a little worried about what could happen for acreage. So, yeah, now is the time to be looking at that. Back to crop size, Ted, as we look ahead toward that report coming up on November 8th. It's a Friday crop report, as I recall, mm-hmm. in uh, in early November. When you take a look at the expectation for corn yield, where are you there? 166, somewhere in that neighborhood? Yeah, so, you know, for the October report, we were, I think, the only firm that had the USDA increasing yield. Um, and they, and did. they did. Not and much, did. but they did. They did, Right. Uh, you know, up until that storm, uh, I was starting to increase my yield. I was getting up to 169.4. I'm backing off on that now. And ultimately, I do think it'll be lower. But here's the thing. We, we need to understand how the USDA is doing these reports. Precisely. Right. And in the October report, we knew that they weren't going to be actually using samples from the field, at least not when it comes to ear weights. They were relying quite a bit on producer opinions, it's, were they not? It's farmer surveys, right. And that's, again, what we're going to be looking at in November. The really objective USDA reports don't come until January. So in this report, I do think we're going to see a slight decline, but I don't think we get down to the 166 level. That, I think, has to wait until we get into the January report. And I'm not even sure it's going to be as low as 166. I think 167 to 168 and a half, it's somewhere, I think it's really somewhere in that ballpark. I mean, everything that I was seeing on crop tour and everything that I've looked at since then, uh, looking at clients' fields and I, their corn crop is fairly decent. It's the harvested acreage number that I really think needs to come down. And, and the recent storm uh, in, you know, big portion of the, the upper Midwest uh, and, and the plains, I think that really takes away from the harvested acreage more than anything else. Uh, and if you take harvested acreage down to 79 half or an 80, that actually does help yield, and, and I think doesn't make yield go much higher. But like I said, I, I, I'm somewhere around 168 right now. I don't think the USDA is too far off on that. I think where they're off is unharvested. Ted Seifert, come back to the studio sometime. It'll be nice to have you here again from Zaner. Absolutely, Max. Pleasure is all mine. I'll be back as soon as you want me. On Twitter, Ted Spread. Yep, at the Ted Spread. The green screen is both red and green as we end this trading week. Chicago Board of Trade, December wheat ended with a gain of just a quarter of a cent 
ending at $5.17.75 a bushel. December corn gained a penny today, ending the week at $3.86.75. November soybeans took a fairly big hit today, down 10.5 cents, and it'll start trading on Monday at $9.20.25. Apparently, harvest moving along a little bit better than some of the trade expected. Uh, Yields, though, are still the big question mark, as we heard in Max's discussion with our market guest today. Now, taking a look at livestock futures, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The uh, February lean hog contract gained 25 cents a hundredweight today, and it'll start trading next week, $73.35. October live cattle gained a dollar sixty-seven cents, and will start trading on Monday at one hundred eleven dollars ninety-seven cents a hundredweight. And the October feeder cattle contract up half a dollar for the day, at one hundred forty-five dollars and seventy cents a hundredweight. So let me end with an email that I received from a listener, and it's an optimistic note that we'll end on about farmers and ranchers in the United States. Most farmers are still family farms. GMOs are safe. There are no antibiotics in your meat. Organic does not mean healthy. We don't drench crops in basic and toxic chemicals. Farm animals are treated well. Monsanto doesn't control the food supply. Farmers are not the bad guys. I would agree with that. Have a great week. Thank you for joining yours truly and Max Armstrong on The Markets. 